0: You're watching the service at Grace Community Church at Deerfoot in Birmingham, Alabama. I have an announcement to make today for the members of the church. You should have received a ballot in the mail this past week for elders and deacons. And I wanted to call it to your attention that you have to turn this in by October 30th, which is pretty soon now. I also wanted to mention that Uh, Although every man whose name is on this list has been vetted by the elders, if you should vote no against one of them, we would appreciate it if you would talk to one of the elders about that so that we might be able to make a good decision about who should serve. All right? So now let's begin our worship service.
1: When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw me. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts. From afar, you hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night. Around me, even then, the night will shine like day. For darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Search me, God, and know my heart, and lead me in the way everlasting. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made.
2: There we go. <clears throat> Running with the skeleton crew back there, so it. And it just a, a minute ago, when Steve said, that uh, welcome to the you know, Grace Community Circus. <laughs> As of about 10 minutes ago, you weren't going to even see that video <laughs> or anything else. And so it's just been kind of a wild time. So that was a little bit uh, uh, nerve I'm going to lower this thing. This is really cool. You know, isn't that right? <laughs> but you know, uh, but uh, our pastor Thad is away today. And so uh, uh, Daryl Munkus is going to be <laughs> speaking. And Daryl, you know, puts this thing way up here. And it's almost like you remember the all, you know, Cure Royals here, you know. Um, and that's the way, but anyway, just, to, just to, it, that's a cool thing. Phil, you did that. You did that. That's, that's a great little thing right there. Good good job, Phil. Anyway, um, but that is a way today, today. Uh, and Dr. Hughley was actually uh, scheduled to preach, but he has not been feeling well lately. So, uh, fortunately, Daryl said, hey, I'm ready to go. So, uh, so we're going to enjoy uh, what the Lord has in store for us, you know, for that. Uh, I do want to talk about the video in just a few minutes, but I do want to remind you, remind everybody, of the fall festival that is, you know, this next Wednesday. fall festival is a big deal around here because we have, uh, we have all sorts of things going on Wednesday night. And it's for the community and that many people in the community come. I mean, it is amazing how many people. I don't know how many hundreds of people we have come through. And we have a lot of our people that are working. We have guys that are parking cars. We have people running games. We have um, we uh, have a um, uh, trunk-or-treat thing going on. It is really a big deal. A lot of people come in, and there's a lot of seed being planted, believe me. it's It's one of those things to where we don't know how those seeds are going to come to fruition, we don't know how. That's, that's up to the Lord. We're just doing what God wants us to do, and we're planting the seeds. So uh, so anyway, so y'all be in prayer about that. Just remember that we are having it. So if you have any friends with kids especially or anything, you know, get, get them down here. And uh, so they'll they'll go away with a lot of candy, which is a wonderful thing for about nine o'clock ten o'clock that night but uh they will be having all that but we will they will have the word of god in their hands before it's over with or a verse or two or whatever seeds are going to be planted so we just want you to remember that uh yesterday we uh we celebrated uh you know the life of ken carden a member of our church and um Ken, uh, many of you might not know, might not know, but uh, Ken passed away this last Monday. Uh, he had gone through a lot of surgery. He had a very serious surgery, and but he was doing, uh, he was doing okay and starting some new treatments and things like that. And so it was, in, in a sense, it was kind of unexpected because it was early. You know, it was before, you know, we thought it was going to be. But it was in God's timing. God knows the number of every one of our days here. That kind of goes along with what our video is all about. He knows our inward parts. He knows everything about us. And it was time for him to take Ken. So we celebrated his life yesterday and had a a good time together. But we do need to remember to uh, pray for Judy and the family. Um, And many of you have, uh, have gone through this. You know what it's all about. So I know that you will be on your knees praying for, for Judy during this time. It's a tough time, but she'll do fine because the Lord's going to be with her and she's going to be trusting in the Lord, no doubt. <clears throat> I picked that video this morning. It was really in in response to uh, the Positive Choices dinner that was last Thursday night. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Sharon uh, Stouffer, Stouffer, yeah, Sharon Stoffer came up and told you about it several of our people were there, and some were working and helping, and others were just, we were there to uh, enjoy uh, listening to Pam Tebow speak, and uh, I think we were all blessed by that. You know, Pam Tebow is, uh, you know, the mother of uh, of Tim Tebow, and uh, the reason why Positive Choices has them is uh, Tim Tebow was, um, they thought that he was just not going to survive or anything like that. They They just thought that you know, the, the doctor said he was a tumor and you know Tim you know joked around he says that, that they considered him Timmy the tumor, you know, but that but we know what that little tumor turned out to be. It was not, it was what God had in store. So she talked about she talked about uh the uh that everybody and this this is just a couple of things that I walked away with that everybody has a God story. And boy does she have a God story and there's no doubt about it she has one and just a, a miraculous way that things worked out there. But one thing she, she mentions, and I got to thinking, and I was talking to Ruth about it. Ruth was with us, and I uh, and, uh, and, uh, you know, says, you know, I guess we need to be thinking about our God story. You know, every one of us, if you're a believer here today, you have a God story, and maybe you have a bunch of God stories of how God has worked in your life, and maybe seen some very, very miraculous ways, you know, God has worked in your life. And you and we need to be prepared to share that with other people because it will be so meaningful, just as uh, Pam was so meaningful. And another thing that I walked away with is that uh, she mentioned something, and I just it just dawned on me. It says, all believers, every one of us here there are, are believers, we have a mission. You know, God God has a purpose for every single one of us, not just to come on Sunday mornings and sit and just do our thing and listen and go and then just live our lives or whatever, He has a purpose for us. We have a mission. And I got thinking, maybe I need to be really thinking about what my mission is. And so I just wanted to challenge you with that as well. Uh, We have, uh, you know, that that Psalm 139 that we just saw, the video, and I'm so thankful. I was back there praying (laughs) while the choir was singing. I was just back there praying, Lord, please help that video to work and get get everything the way that uh, it was supposed to be. And sure enough, Steve Bartley came walking in. He said, okay, that's great. We were ready to go. But um, a lot of times in that Psalm 139, especially when we're dealing with what the positive choices things, it's, it's that, you know, uh, it says that I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And we key in on that verse in 139. But, you know, there are a lot of other verses there. Basically, to me, it's all about the very, the extremely intimate relationship that we have with our God with our creator because he created us and it says that he knows all of our inward parts (laughs) and it's not he's not only only talking about the physical parts he's talking about the spiritual parts too you know the the, you know the God's word tells us in many times you know Jesus when he was when he was confronting the uh the Pharisees of the day you know they were talking among themselves. Jesus didn't hear them talking. He he knew their hearts. He knew who they were. He knew every one of those guys intimately. He knew all of their inward parts. He knew everything spiritually about them, and he knows every one of us today. We have to remember that we can't hide from God. We can't do it. We can hide from other people. We can fool other people, but we can't fool God. And uh, so we have to just remember that that we have. This, uh, this, this tremendously intimate relationship with the Lord. And the Bible says that, that you know, the, the Word of God is a two-edged sword. And it talks about that as, as it can dissect. It can actually almost like surgically get to the deepest parts. It talks, that's what it's talking about when it talks about the joints and the marrow. It's talking about the very deepest parts. And it's not talking about physically. It's talking about spiritually. God knows the deepest, the deepest parts of our life and we just have to remember that uh he knows everything about us he knows what psalm 139 says he knows what we do before we do it he knows what we say before we say it he knows what we think before we think it and you think about that what an amazing god that we have that we have come this morning to worship an amazing god who knows us that intimately He knows our sinful ways. But yet, he provides the way of salvation for us all through Christ's death and resurrection. Again, we can't hide from him. So we must say, as the psalmist said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. Keep on going there, please. And see if there be any hurtful way in me uh, I think King James Version and you, King James, says something about wicked ways. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. So uh, I, I ask you this morning, before we start our time of worship together, um, to invite him to do that. Invite him to search your heart this morning. See if there's any hurtful way, any Wicked away what are your anxious thoughts what are you worried about that you can give to the Lord today that he can take that burden off of you what is it today I'd like to just uh, take a little bit of time and then we're going to pray and then we're going to start our time of, uh, of worship together so let's just bow our heads and let's just take a minute right now and just think of that say search me O God and know my heart today You don't really need to ask him because he knows it. But just be aware and just say, Lord, search me and know my heart. Father, this morning we come to you as a group of believers that are gathered together, that love one another, but we love you more, and we just want to thank you for being the great and the awesome God that we can't even imagine, we can't even fathom, that a God can know us so well. Lord, and we just thank you for your sovereignty over all of our lives, Lord, we ask you that you would just guide us in your ways and lead us away from our own ways. Lord, we just are so thankful, as we mentioned, that you are in charge of the number of our days. God, thank you for that. Lord, I thank you that you are preparing a place for us, every one of us, Lord, that we can come and we can spend an eternity with you, Lord, Only you have made that way. And, Lord, you're preparing a place. We're looking forward to that wonderful place that you have for us. Lord, we ask you that you just bless those that are hurting today. Lord, I just pray that you would comfort them. Lord, especially thinking of the Cardin family right now. Lord, you draw close to them. But, Father, there are many people in this congregation that are still hurting from the loss of a spouse, loss of a loved one. Lord, just draw close to them and help us to draw close to you. Lord, we honor you for who you are. Lord, you're the one who saves us. Lord, you're the one who sanctifies us. And Lord, you're going to be the one who glorifies us that you're coming for us. Lord, we pray for our time of worship. Lord, that you would be blessed with our hearts of worship. And Lord, I pray as we sing together, Lord, that we would have a heart of rejoicing and love for you like no other time during the week as we gather together. Lord, I pray for Daryl, Lord, as he shares the word with us, Father, in our time of worship around your word, Lord. We thank you for him and for his preparation and, God, we just uh, we just pray that you would be with him this morning. And, Lord, as we part, we pray for our time apart, that we can be strengthened by our personal time of prayer and our personal time in your word, your word who cuts so deeply into us and it guides us and it uh, teaches us in all of your ways. Lord, we thank you that you are the living God who cares And sustains us. Surely, Lord, your grace is sufficient for all our needs. Lord, we pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's sing together, the Lord is my salvation.
0: The of God has reached for me And pulled me from the raging sea And I am safe on the solid ground The Lord is my salvation I will not fear when darkness falls His strength will help me scale these walls I'll see the dawn of the rising sun The Lord is my salvation Who is my Let us
2: He's our great Savior. What a friend for sinners. First verse one more time. Just one more time. If you go back there uh, and just just go back to that first verse one more time. And let's just sing that. Let's sing without the without the instruments. Just our voices. My Jesus, I love thee. Listen.
3: My Jesus. There.
4: Well, thank you, Ron, and the choir. If you're not fired up after that, hmm, there's something wrong with you. So, well, as uh, Ron was asking us to pray this morning, I was over there praying that God would help me read my text <laughs> this morning. So, all right, turn with me if you would. If you stand, if you would, we're going to read verses 45. Uh, 45- We're in Mark chapter 10, that's where our message comes from this morning. And we're going to read this morning Verse 45 through verse 52. So Verse 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Pray with me. Father, we bless you for your faithfulness, uh, your graciousness, uh, and giving us what we did not earn and did not merit, which is the gift of salvation. Um, help us this morning as our sight oftentimes deceives us in life. We see things, we assume things to be true, and our sight can be an obstacle as we will see this morning with Bartimaeus. Bless us as we get into this text. Teach us by your Spirit that we may be better stewards of your Word and know how to engage a world that doesn't mind being deceived by their own perceptions. Bless us this morning for Jesus' sake. Amen. All right. Well, Mark 10, verse 45, this text that we're going to look at today happens to be at the end of a major section in Mark's gospel, uh, sandwiched between Jesus' Galilean ministry and his ministry in Jerusalem, right in between his ministry in the bayou and his ministry before Capitol Hill and all of its Swamp Creatures. (laughs) So, my Rebs got drugged through the swamp uh, yesterday. So, uh, Jesus' Galilean ministry takes up the first part of Mark's Gospel, and the aim of his uh, Galilean ministry was to slowly reveal to his followers who he was. That uh, he was not just a a miracle worker. He was not just a, a great prophet but he was the Messiah, the Son of God, God manifest in human flesh. Uh, The first section reaches a climax where Peter professes that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and from that moment forward, Jesus pivots his focus to ready his followers for the culminating event of his earthly ministry as he goes to the swamp of Jerusalem to be crucified at the hands of the Jewish and Gentile Roman leaders. Uh, Now, Mark 10.45, as many of you know, is a thematic verse for this gospel. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mark focuses on Jesus as the suffering servant, the one who continually considers others as more important than himself, as his entire mission was to give his life as a ransom for many, to be crucified on the cross To redeem fallen man back unto the Father. What God values, carnal men and fleshly men, do not. It's despised by them. Uh, But what men value, God does not value. Uh, Simply stated, you know, in this life, we can choose between two paths, the path of serving self or the path of self-sacrifice for the good of others and with a singular focus on the kingdom of earth carnal man must be a self-assertive bull aggressive domineering in order to advance and progress in life but in the kingdom of heaven one must put others first And prostrate oneself to the lowly position of a servant in accord with Jesus, our chief example of humility and self-sacrifice, all for the welfare of others. He paid the ultimate price of death to free us from the bondage of sin And you know, in life we are continually faced with the temptation to try to get the most out of life, to make ourselves primary and to put others second. Uh, Yet if we do this, we forfeit things that are far more important and significant in the life ahead of us that is beyond the grave. And when we choose to live selfish lives, we... Sacrifice things that we do not see now, but that God tells us about and that God promises us that we can have if we humble ourselves and put his program of servanthood first in this life. We are to present ourselves to him as willing servants bound to him, not with you know shackles of obligation but with cords of gratitude because of what he has done for us at calvary and what he does for us daily as he extends his grace for even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many uh now mark recorded an incident that happened Uh, just after Jesus' Galilean ministry on his way to his Jerusalem ministry. We have the PowerPoint back there, or is that not available? Uh, Mark recorded an incident that happened just after Jesus' Galilean ministry on his way to his Jerusalem ministry, and that is the healing of the blind beggar uh, Bartimaeus. Now it is after Jesus' teaching on discipleship and his third passion prediction that he tells his disciples his fate that he would go to Jerusalem and the Son of Man would be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him and scourge him and put him to death. But after three days he will rise. But... If you'll recall, it's after his second passion prediction in verses 32 to 45 that we had teaching on discipleship followed by a particular record of an incident, the incident of the rich young ruler who had come to Jesus. So now we have a repetition of the same pattern. Mark, being a good writer, he wants us to see this contrast. And again, for a third time, Jesus gives another passion prediction, followed by teaching on discipleship, followed by yet another incident about a particular person who came to Jesus. However, this time, it's not a rich, young ruler, but a poor, blind beggar. And the contrast is significant. Uh, speaking of blindness, uh, being blindless, and uh, speaking of blindness in general, and a contrast of narrative. If any of you are SEC uh, sports fans, then you know that there's been quite some controversy over the last 50 years concerning the now former Ole Miss mascot, uh, Colonel Reb. Uh, leftists have associated the image as one encapsulating a racist, bigoted, pro-slavery old south plantation owner yet is this really true symbols are very powerful and are much like a double-edged sword and that has certainly been the case with colonel Reb, as the mascot has been thoroughly misunderstood and it's brought the university such controversy which many say has been complex and Unnecessary, resulting in Colonel Reb being officially sidelined in 2003. (laughs) Uh, Regarding symbols, Francois Sagan said, we make our own symbols after the event has passed and begun to spoil. (laughs) You know, the news cycle, you know, it gets a little stale. We need to conjure up a new story, so to speak, so. Uh, Gene Wolfe, he said this, uh, we believe that we invent symbols. The truth is that they invent us. We are their creatures shaped by their hard, defining edges. I want to share a story with you. This is a a counter-narrative which will give us some perspective on this particular choice of text. It's the story of Blind Jim Ivey. Uh, EDWIN SMITH OF UNIVERSITY OF MISSISSIPPI NEWS WRITES THIS, HE SAYS, uh, JAMES Ivy WAS BEST KNOWN BY HIS NICKNAME, BLIND JIM. FOR 60 YEARS HE WAS A PEANUT VENDOR ON CAMPUS, AN UNOFFICIAL MASCOT FOR THE SCHOOL AND SELF-APPOINTED DEAN OF FRESHMEN. BLINDED AS A TEENAGER WHILE WORKING WITH TAR ON THE Tallahatchie BRIDGE, Ivy was known for his humorous saying, I've never seen the Rebels lose. (laughs) And Blind Jim became a part of the University of Mississippi in 1896, and it's said that while boiling uh, boiling peanuts, at one of the athletic events he shouted, hey, we're going to beat them. And after that event, the students honored him as mascot of the football team and also honored him as dean of the freshman class. Blind Jim Ivey was thought of as being the grace of the Ole Miss campus for some 60 years before his death in 1955. He was a tall, distinguished man, dressed impeccably in a black suit, just as you see there with Colonel Rebb. In a white shirt, and Ivy used a cane, just as Colonel Reb, and wore a wide-brimmed hat, just as Colonel Reb. And there is strong speculation that the figure of Colonel Reb is based on Ivy. Blind Jim was widely known for his loyalty to the football, basketball, and baseball teams. His optimism, perseverance, and his genuine sense of humor endeared him to many people. As a matter of fact, David Sansing, a longtime historian and professor at Ole Miss, affirms that evidence points to the Ole Miss mascot being derived from none other than a blind black man, a beggar, by the name and the affectionate name of Blind Jim. The story of Blind Jim Ivey is just one tale as to how symbols, images, and the accepted narratives of our world can be sequestered, augmented, to hypnotize, willfully craft a monopoly of thought. You know, the world wants to make sure that everyone remembers James Meredith. But uh, obviously, not so with James Ivey. In the modern world in which we live, one that's complex and data-driven, we can be inadvertently led into adopting certain prefabricated narratives about a host of things if we're not attentive and analytical. And as information compacts upon information, with technological aid, it can be quite difficult to sift through. Alfred Tennyson said, a lie that's a half-truth is the darkest of all lies. Uh, man has always been an expert at lying, but now we've got to contend with these daggers flinging around in cyberspace nonstop uh, and from every direction. Uh, technology has exacerbated their proli- you know their proliferation. So, you know, I'm reminded of the text that Pastor Thad took us through in 1 John, a text warning the body of Christ, uh, the body of Christ concerning the rise of antichrists who willful, willfully try to deceive us for personal gain. So, uh, John wrote these things I have written to you concerning the ones who are trying to deceive you. It's deliberate then our sin nature and the head of it all is satan who when he speaks john said he speaks his native language for he is a liar and the father of lies um, we're immersed in a culture and in a world that's a in a sea of misinformation deception and as a matter of fact It's becoming harder for us to deny that our nation finds itself up against the ropes in a fight for survival. Um, Umberto Eco, he wrote, a democratic civilization will save itself only if, if it makes the language of the image into a stimulus for critical reflection and not an invitation for Hypnosis. I think we need to ask ourselves, are we allowing what the world says to be true to hypnotize us, whereby carefully crafted narratives repeated often enough ensnare us? Uh, John F. Kennedy said it this way, The great enemy of truth is oftentimes not the lie, deliberate, contrived, and dishonest but the myth, persistent, persuasive, and unrealistic. Too often we hold fast to the cliches of our forebearers. We subject all facts to a prefabricated set of interpretations. We enjoy the comfort of opinion without the discomfort of thought. Our society is unraveling, and just as every empire meets its end, so will our earthly realm. And to put it simply, they collapse because they are built not on truth, but on lies. And thus, we need to abandon comforts of opinions, Ready ourselves for discomforting thought and arm ourselves with truth and proclaim it. At the start of Jesus' ministry, uh, many of his disciples believed that he was the Messiah. John tells us that in the very first chapter of his Gospel that Andrew, Philip, and Peter were convinced that Jesus was the Messiah. However, their understanding of Messiah was a narrow, earthly understanding, heavily influenced by the prevailing narratives of the day. The predominant view of Jesus in Jesus' day was that Messiah was going to be a powerful military deliverer who would help Israel to ascend all over other nations. And this, of course, sharply contrasts with the biblical Messiah that God predicted in the Old Testament, a divine human person, fully God, fully man. And this is the very reason why Jesus had to reveal himself patiently, slowly, and progressively. Only by coming to the realization that Jesus was fully God could they truly appreciate the totality of, of his mission that he had come to die on the cross as our perfect sacrificial substitute as only one who is sinless could make such a sacrifice that would be acceptable to God. Well, one can assume that the disciples and the rich young ruler were indeed able to see and I'm struck by the notion that man can be so blinded by his own supposed vision and his own supposed understanding, these men could see believers and an unbeliever, yet they had such difficulty understanding who Jesus is, that he is fully God and fully man. And they had to go through a lengthy process of discomfort of thought. Yet here's Bartimaeus he couldn't see but he positioned himself right by the road to encounter Jesus as he knows uh, exactly who he is. Perhaps we should ask ourselves how our faculties deceive us Maybe we should ask ourselves the question of what misconceptions we might have. We, like the disciples, are not immune to misunderstanding, and our faculties are, especially in the modern world in which we live, are continually bombarded with stimuli that oftentimes, as you know, purposefully deceive us. Um, verse 46. Uh, Then they came to Jericho, this is Jesus and his disciples and the multitude that was following him on the way to Jerusalem. And later, as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, a beggar who was blind named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. There are some uh, variations in other accounts when it comes to this incident. Uh, Some commentators have concluded that the differing accounts are problematic and cannot be reconciled. Uh, One gospel records that as Jesus came into Jericho, two beggars met him, and he healed both of them. Uh, Mark records only the one blind beggar, and this occurred as he was leaving Jericho. Uh, Some say this must be two separate events concerning three different people. Uh, However, they could all be describing the same incident, as there were two Jerichos at this time. Uh, The old city of Jericho had been destroyed in the days of Joshua and was rebuilt, but it was essentially in ruins by this time. And interestingly, Herod the Great uh, constructed what became known as the new city of Jericho that was a mere mile southwest of the old city of Jericho. So other commentators have pointed out that the gospel writers could have been chronicling, you know, Jesus's exit of the old Jericho and his entry into the new Jericho, and it was at this time of his entry into this new Jericho that this miracle occurred. And the implication is that the other accounts recounted the new Jericho and that the miracle transpired before Jesus entered the new city of Jericho. Uh, Some of the gospel writers concentrated on the presence of two beggars, but perhaps Mark simply concentrated on the most significant one, Bartimaeus and I believe that's the likely scenario especially when you look at the language and how it is constructed and put together and so eerily familiar with the story of the rich young ruler it's clear Mark's trying to make a contrast here so as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a large crowd a beggar who was blind named Bartimaeus the son of Timaeus was sitting by the road Bartimaeus means son of, and then there's Timaeus. Uh, but the text also provi- you know, records his father's name once more, and this is because Timaeus was a renowned believer in the early church period. As a matter of fact, his entire family was distinguished. Uh, Bartimaeus, his response seems to suggest, suggest that he was indeed a follower of Jesus Christ. After all, though he was blind, he had... Uh, positioned himself as he was sitting by the road begging for money before he encounters Jesus and it's clear that Bartimaeus here is present as an exemplary disciple. Uh, Mark probably included this incident to illustrate how Jesus would open the spiritual eyes of his disciples eyes that were still shut. The disciples had yet to comprehend what Jesus meant when he uh, told them that he was going to have to die on the cross. And they were not able to grasp his teachings on servanthood and discipleship. So they were spiritually blind to the reality of who Jesus was and the totality of his mission as it had not yet been made manifest in their minds and yet here is Bartimaeus who was physically blind and here he is sitting by the road verse 47 and when he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene he began to cry out and say Jesus son of David have mercy on me this man is crying tears of joy and he cries out Jesus Son of David. Now, the masses describe Jesus in this day as simply the man from Nazareth or the man that is the Nazarene. But Bartimaeus recognized Jesus as the son of David. And remarkably, this is the only time in Mark's gospel where someone called Jesus son of David. Clearly, Bartimaeus does not embrace the narrative of the majority. He wasn't concerned with political correctness or cancel culture. Uh, Son of David is a sharp contrast with the man from Nazareth of Galilee of Galilee. Second um, Samuel 7, in there the prophet gives us the meaning of the title son of David which Bartimaeus uh which Mark employs here in his uh, chronicling of the, the story of Bartimaeus uh if you want to turn there to Second Samuel 7 we're going to start in verse 8 uh if you don't want to we're going to the text is going to be on the overhead so but you're welcome to turn there um When Bartimaeus used this title, he was expressing his great discernment as to who Jesus was. Uh, There were not many people when Jesus walked the earth who recognized him as Messiah, the promised son of David, that the Old Testament foretold. Uh, Samuel records this, says, Now then, this is what you shall say to my servant David. This is what the Lord of armies says. I myself took you from the pasture, From following sheep. It's as if God is saying. Hey remember where you came from. Uh, God's called you. From the lowly beginnings. Of a shepherd. Reminding him of that here. I took you. That you should be ruler over my people Israel. And I have been with you. Wherever you have gone. And have eliminated all your enemies. From you. I will also make a great name for you like the names of the great men who are on the earth. Verse 10. And I will establish a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may live in their own place and not be disturbed again. Nor will malicious people oppress them anymore as previously. God alone will ultimately bring Israel into its haven which is still future. Verse 11, even from the day I commanded judges to be over my people Israel uh, when they first entered the promised land and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Um, Continue on, verse 11, the Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. When your days are finished and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come from you and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. Uh, the descendant of David who uh, through whom God will fulfill his promises completely is Jesus Christ. Uh, Now, it was customary in the ancient Near East uh, for a male royal to refer to himself as the son of God. No matter who their God may have been, uh, Pharaoh referred to himself as a son of God or a divine representative of God on earth. And of course, that's literally the case with uh, Jesus. Uh, Verse 14, uh, when, when he commits iniquity... I will discipline him with a rod of men and with strokes of sons of mankind. Uh, God gives us here a foreshadowing of things that uh, will have sweeping consequences. On the front end, it applies to Solomon, whom God chose to establish the nation. But the long-term consequences of this prophecy were much more significant than anyone at this time could have possibly conceived. Solomon to Jesus Christ Solomon needed discipline because he departed from the will of God. He was a sinner. He experienced this rod of discipline in his reign and he experienced defeat at the hands of his enemies as he did not obey the Lord. And as a child of God when you don't obey the Lord you're subject to divine discipline. Yet Jesus never disobeyed. He was perfectly attuned to the will of God even to the cross. Earlier in this Gospel, at Jesus' baptism and the transfiguration, the Father spoke of Jesus, this is my well-beloved Son. Hear Him. And as we read this text in light of the prophecy of 2 Samuel 7, we can hear God exclaim once more, here He is! Here is the son of David. Hear him. All through Israel's history, they were always anticipating the fulfillment of this prophecy. Was it Solomon? Was it Solomon who was going to be this descendant of David who would lead Israel into its era of prosperity and rest? Solomon couldn't do it because he departed from the will of God. He was a sinner. Well, Solomon gave birth to Rehoboam. Would Rehoboam be the descendant of David uh, who would stay in accordance with the will of God and lead Israel into prosperity and rest? Well, Rehoboam couldn't do it either. He departed from the will of God as well. He was a sinner. Israel kept speculating through all of its kingships for this son of David or son of God, to ascend and to take the reins. And in the fullness of time, this descendant of David came in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, Verse 15 goes on, But my favor shall not depart from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from you. Uh, No matter the rise and fall of these rulers who depart from the will of God into sin, the Lord will not abandon this line of David. God is saying there will be a descendant of David who will come and establish his kingdom forever. This is unilateral. It's not contingent upon the actions of man. God will do this. And verse 16, your house and your kingdom shall endure Before me forever to the end of time your throne shall be established forever. So as we go back into Mark 10 we can see that Bartimaeus knows his Bible. He recalls this verse. When Bartimaeus calls Jesus the son of David he is professing that Jesus is the descendant of David of 2 Samuel 7. The promised Messiah that Israel had longed for. He is a believer in Jesus Christ and he is so anxious as he hears it's Jesus and he believes that Jesus immediately can heal him from his physical estate, his blindness. He expresses humility and he expresses trust. Uh, verse 47 and when he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Uh, many were sternly telling him to be quiet. <laughs> Here's the mob. The, the guys who just can't see. <laughs> they just can't see. They were just going to the circus. Uh, What do you know, Bartimaeus? You're just a blind beggar. Uh, Here he is, son of David, have mercy on me. Having waited on the roadside, he finally hears that Jesus was passing by and he cries out because he does not want to be passed over. He wants to make certain that Jesus meets his need, which is an indication of his true faith. Uh, Verse 49, and Jesus stopped and said, call him here. Jesus shows compassion for this man who yearns for him to address his need. And so they called the man who was blind, saying to him, take courage, stand up, he's calling you. Uh, verse 50, and throwing off his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And you can just sense the hope that this man has, that Jesus is going to do something for him. And he, go, he gropes his way, you know, finding his way to Jesus. Verse 51, and replying to him, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? Interestingly. In Mark 10, 35, if you look there, Jesus asks the same question to his disciples. Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Notice the contrast, though. They address him as teacher, not son of David. Jesus responded, what do you want me to do for you? You see Jesus wants to wants us, you know, he wants us to cast our cares on him because he cares for us. He delights for us to take our needs to him as the expression of that need demonstrates genuine faith and dependence on him and when we rely on him and he meets those needs, we give him the credit for it. And we recognize that he is the one that's responsible for what has occurred and that it's not just some cosmic accident. He delights in bringing, in the bringing of our needs to him. So, verse 51, and the man who was blind said to him, Rabbani, literally means my master, I want to regain my sight. Bartimaeus clearly expresses his immediate need and Jesus said to him go your faith has made you well Jesus heals him and this affirms obviously the truth of the title Bartimaeus uttered, (laughs) son of David that he is indeed the Messiah it's been said you know that faith is very simply the hand that reaches out to accept God's blessings And Jesus responds, go, your faith has made you well. And what this means is that faith is the instrument by which salvation has come. It's God who's the author of it. It's God who captivates us, but it's only those who express faith in Jesus who receive what God has to offer. Interestingly, this term made you well can translate as your faith has saved you. And while the other disciples record two blind men, Mark focuses on Bartimaeus, the one who became a disciple. Uh, the verse is rendered in a manner indicating that Jesus is speaking to Bartimaeus on both a physical and a spiritual level. Uh, Bartimaeus regains his faculty of sight, but by employing a word that's customarily translated salvation, the implications that Bartimaeus' faith has also resulted. In his spiritual salvation. Sharp contrast with the, young, the rich young ruler. And it's clear that through this expression of faith in Jesus to meet his need. And his use of the term son of David. And "Rabbi," that Bartimaeus fully understands the identity of Jesus Christ. He knows who he is and he has come to him knowing that only he and meet his need, continuing verse 52, and immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. Immediately, Bartimaeus responds to Jesus' great gift to him by becoming a disciple, and he follows Jesus instantaneously. This is a sharp contrast with the rich young ruler The rich young ruler said, Teacher, what do I have to do that I can inherit eternal life? And Jesus eventually replies, Go sell everything you have, everything you can see, everything you can touch, and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Uh, Jesus lets this rich young ruler know that he really cannot do anything to inherit eternal life as it can't be earned and only comes by way of a gift. And the text says that the rich young ruler's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. Uh, The rich young ruler is the only person in all the gospels whom Jesus called to follow him who declined Jesus' gracious offer. Yet, Bartimaeus makes the most ideal of responses when it comes to doing the very thing that Jesus had been instructing his closest disciples to do, to humble themselves, to come to him, to believe on him, and to follow him. Jesus has to whip up a giant storm as a teaching tool just to get the disciples to realize that he is indeed the Messiah. What a model response Bartimaeus has. We all can be anxious. You know, we all have needs. Like Bartimaeus, we need to bring those needs to him daily and experience The master's touch day by day and we should also follow him on that road one step at a time. The apostle Paul said we should walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. We're to trust and obey and that's our march. That's our march, our advance to follow Jesus one step at a time and in that way God's able to use us just as he used Bartimaeus for his glory. And Jesus, you know, he knows everyone's need. Uh, Oh, that we would all bring it to him. He healed Bartimaeus only by request as he only saves those who ask him to save them from their iniquity. He lets us struggle until we have exhausted all of our energies and we have... No other avenue left than to cast ourselves on him. And then he pulls us out of the storms of life. So this is a tremendous text, isn't it? Really, it's a tremendous text for believers in any day and at any time. It's timeless. And it gives us profound insight into a very popular verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. We are just too plugged into the matrix these days aren't we? We have a device in our pocket everywhere we go. <laughs> Aubrey told me last night that Lucas said this to her. You know, Lucas is two. And he said, please like and subscribe. <laughs> the psalmist says, Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things, Hmm. and give me life in your ways. Jesus was truth manifest, and our eyes should feast on him. Bartimaeus had never beheld the Son of God with his own eyes. Unlike the twelve and the other disciples who were in close proximity to Jesus, yet He was a believer, and in this sense, we're like Bartimaeus. Uh, We have not beheld the Son of God in human flesh, and yet we have believed. On the other hand, Bartimaeus is not like us in that his temporal, physical state, through his immense demonstration of faith, he had the privilege, though having been blind, of physically walking with Jesus as an exemplary disciple with a model response. He was not blinded by his own vision. He was not blinded by his own understanding to make it day by day. He wasn't inundated with symbols, imagery, advertisements, He understood his limitations. Other followers, you know, they held their own professions and made their own way, like the disciples who made ends meet as fishermen. (laughs) The same fishermen and the same disciples who, if you remember, put Jesus in the back of the boat because they were the experts. Bartimaeus was a blind beggar, but his condition had instilled in him an innate sense of dependence, and he knew his Bible. He recognized Jesus, and he trusted that Jesus could meet his need. And when Jesus did meet his need, Bartimaeus gratefully gave himself in return as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And fittingly, only when he could see clearly did he follow Jesus. And then Jesus helps him day by day by his grace, his strength, and his wisdom. And so it should be with us. I was uh, struggling to how to conclude this this morning and uh, I came through so many verses that were so profound that I felt rather than not only standing for the text this morning uh, and Mark, that we might stand today and hear these verses so that when we go out into circus world, we will have them with us. So stand with me if you would. And- We'll read these verses and we'll conclude in prayer. Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked, are sin. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Isaiah wrote during the stormy period, the expansion of the Assyrian Empire and the fall of Israel. Keep on listening, but do not understand. And keep on looking, but do not gain knowledge. Make the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull and their eyes blind, so that they will not see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. Then then, uh, I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, until cities are devastated and without inhabitant. Houses are without people, and the land is utterly desolate. The Lord has completely removed people. And there are many forsaken places in the midst of the land. For all that's in the world, this sounds familiar. The desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride and possessions is not from the Father, but it is from the world. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. And when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. I think I skipped one there. Sorry about that. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. If my step has turned aside from the way and my heart has gone after my eyes and if my spot, if any spot has stuck to my hands then let me sow and another eat and let what grows from me be rooted out. If my step has turned aside from the way and my heart after my eyes, I'm sorry, I'm repeating the same verse. Well, maybe I meant to read it twice, so I'll read it twice. (laughs) And if any spot has stuck it to my my hands, then let me sow and another eat, and let what grows for me be rooted out. And lastly, we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Pray with me, and we'll conclude. So, Father, we bless you for this text. We bless you for your servant Bartimaeus. Such a simpler example for us. Such an ideal response to. Uh, your abilities, your power and your strength the response to your, your gift of salvation and his following of Jesus such a simple, simple response but a response that changed the course of his life and we pray that our response would be one of simplicity one of trust, one of obedience and we trust that you will lead us as we seek to follow you and that you will provide us the grace we need day by day to walk in your ways and we acknowledge that we are indeed under construction we uh we seek to walk together on this path and yet we need your help and your direction so often we bless you that you are a God of compassion, and we bless you for what you have done for us, which is freeing us from the bondage of sin. And we pray that a spirit of gratitude will indwell us and dominate our life like a contagion as we live day by day. We ask this for the sake of Christ. Amen. You are dismissed.